and give you all a warm welcome to our service today. We'll begin by singing Psalm 87 and sing psalms. Psalm 87 and sing psalms. On Jerusalem's holy mountain, he is at his abode. More than all of Jacob's dwellings, Zion's gates are dear to God. <clears throat> the tune is Stuttgart, and we'll stand to sing. It's good for us to come to you, uh, the living God. Uh, we thank you that you are the unchanged one, uh, but because you are uh, complete, perfect, and that is always the case. We confess we find it hard to understand how that can be, but it's good for us to know it is the case that we are coming to the God who never changes, whose character remains the same, whose promises are always true, and whose purposes will be fulfilled. And therefore, we come to worship you as who you are, and the God who does not change. We thank you too that part of your uh, unchangeability is the fact that you care and that you care not as uh, humans do with all their various limitations uh, but you care as part of your 
perfection. And your care for us involves complete knowledge of where things are in our lives and also full awareness of how your plan for us uh, works out uh, day by day. And as we know, our days change and things that may have seemed uh, certain no longer are that and things that may threaten us appear on the horizon and things that may sadden us uh, take place. So it's good for us, Lord, uh, to know that you care. And uh, we thank you too that not only do you reveal who you are in your word, but when your son became a man, he displayed that uh, divine uh, compassion and divine unchangeability and divine sovereignty in a human life his own life and when we look at the life of Jesus uh, we see most uh, outstanding and very attractive manner and therefore as he himself said he that has seen me has seen the father and as we look at Jesus in all the different circumstances he was in and in the ways he spoke and in the various reactions that he had, uh, we see God. And we thank you that in the person of Jesus, it has become straightforward and easy for us to see what God thinks and what God will do in our lives and how he will do it. Lord, we pray for those who are uh, mourning today and uh, we remember uh, Joan and her family at the passing of uh, Tommy Cook. We just pray, Lord, that you remember all of them <clears throat> we know there is a, a wide family circle, and we just pray that uh, your comfort would be given to them by the Holy Spirit, and your word tells us that that wonderful spirit uh, works in our lives as the spirit of Jesus, and making it as if Jesus himself were present. And therefore we pray that the comfort, <clears throat> comfort of God uh, would be uh, given uh, to them all. And we just pray that your blessing would be on them. We know that others of our congregation are not well at the moment and unable to be here. And we pray that you would remember such as well and 
give them uh, spiritual blessings today and that they would be all conscious that if God is for them, then who or what can be against them. And it's good for all of us to remind ourselves that it's important that we see God in our lives. Uh, we may physically uh, live in this particular country, but in reality, the place where we actually live is in your providence. And therefore, Lord, uh, we, that we would be very much conscious of that, that we are always under your hand. Uh, we come to you, therefore, asking for a blessing as we meet today. Pray for the children with us, <clears throat> that you would bless them and help them in their own capacity to understand what we are engaged in, that we are reacting to, worshipping the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the God of the whole earth, uh, the God who is developing his kingdom and throughout this world today, uh, we know that Jesus will be adding to his church. And we pray for all such uh, who are in his church, whether those who have been in it for many years or those who are just joining it, that you would bless them all. And we remember especially those living in difficult places where persecution is or where various hardships are because of natural disasters. We pray, you, Lord, to remember all your people, and your word does tell us the Lord knows them that are his. And we thank you for the fact that that statement in the present tense, a reminder of where your focus is as you look down on this world. So, Lord, be with us in our service and bless us all and pardon our sins, for Christ's sake. Amen. Uh, we can read from Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, as to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? that it may be well with you. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. Do not, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. <clears throat> then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? 
And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told all then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying that our six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty handed to your mother in law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, and you until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And may God Bless that reading. Now Graham will give the children's talk.
And they found the first person, and the first person said, I have just bought a field. I've got to go and work in my field, so I'm too busy to come to the party. I've got more important things to do, so I'm not coming. Then they found the next person, and he said, I've just bought some oxen, like cows. I've just bought some cows, and I need to go and do stuff with the cows um, and look after them, so I'm too busy to come. I've got more important things to do. And then the third person they found, and do you know what the third person said? The third person said, I've just got married. I am too busy to come to this party. I'm going to go and see my wife. I've got to look after them. I'm too busy to come. So three people that they spoke to didn't come because they were too busy. They had better things to do and they were making excuses. So they went back to the king and they told the king this. And how do you think the king felt? Angry, Angry yeah. Cross, sad, yeah, I think all these things. Annoyed. So the king sent his servants, he said to his servants, go back out into the fields and into the streets and into the alleyways and going on to all the places and everyone that you find, invite them to my party. You go out and everyone's invited. You go out and you find, it doesn't matter if they're young or old, a boy, a girl, you go out and you find all these people and you invite them. So that's what the servants did. And before long, the banquet, the party was full of people who had come. Okay? Now, Jesus told us this story for a reason. You watch your feet. Jesus told us this story for a reason. Okay? And that was to teach us something. He was teaching us that we've all received an invitation. In this story, the king is like Jesus. Okay? Because Jesus is the king of kings. And in the story, the king had sent out an invitation to everybody to come to his banquet, to come to his party. And in a similar way, Jesus has sent out an invitation to all of us, to the boys and girls, to the mums and dads, to everyone in the whole world. Jesus has sent them an invitation to come to him. Okay? Jesus has sent them an invitation to come. And we know from our previous chats and talks and things that Jesus is the only way to where? Jesus is the only way to heaven. Remember what Jesus said? I am the, who remembers? Jesus said, I am the, he did say that, yeah? What else did he say? I am the, the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And do you know what's even what's great is that Jesus has invited us to come. Imagine Jesus was the only way to heaven but he didn't invite us to come to him. Imagine that. He was the only way but he didn't want us to come near him. But that's not what it is. Jesus is the only way and he's saying come. Come to me. Remember he said come to me all who are weary and I will give them rest. And he said come to me all who are thirsty and I will give them drink. So Jesus will meet all of our needs and Jesus has invited us to come to him but what happened in the story that we talked about did everybody come to the king in that story that we talked about no some people didn't come and sadly even though everybody is invited to come to Jesus sadly some people don't come to Jesus 
Some people think, oh, I'm too busy. I'm too busy doing things. I don't have time for Jesus. Some people might say, oh, I'm too young. I'm too young just now. I, don't have to, I can't come to Jesus just now. Do you think anyone can be too young to come to Jesus? No. Some people might say, oh, I'm too old. I'm too old. I should have done that when I was younger, but I didn't, and now I'm too old. Is anybody too old to come to Jesus? No. So, some people in, in the story that didn't come. But what I want you guys to know is that Jesus has sent out an invitation to all of you, to all of us, to come to him. And see in an invitation, there's a bit at the bottom. Do you know what that bit says? Yeah, do you know what that means? RSVP. Do you know what that means? Usually on an invitation it says at the bottom, RSVP. That usually means that the, the person who has sent you the invitation wants you to reply to them. They want you to reply and tell them, are you coming to the party or are you not coming? That's what it means. So Jesus has given us all an invitation. And we all have to respond. We all have to reply to Jesus. And we have to reply, are we going to accept his invitation to come to him? Or are we not going to accept it? Because we're going to say, we're too busy. We're not interested. Well, I hope that you'll all make the right choice and you'll all respond to Jesus in the way that he wants. Okay? So thank you for listening. Um, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together now. And we'll stand and do that all together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. <coughs> Thank you, Graham. We'll now sing from Psalm 103 in the Scottish Psalter, uh, verses 8 to 13, and the tune is London New, and again we'll stand to sing. The Lord our God is merciful, and he is gracious, long-suffering, and slow to wrath, in mercy plenteous. Verses 8 to 13.
Well, we can turn back uh, to the chapter we read, uh, Ruth chapter 3. And I would just like us to think about the incident that's um, described here in the chapter. And the title I have given to the, to the sermon is Seeking a Redeemer. Well, as we can see from the chapter, there are certainly um, customs that we don't practice in our society that were there in ancient Israel. <clears throat> but we also see that um, the parents were uh, interested in finding uh, spouses. In this particular case, um, Naomi, for her daughter-in-law. And that may or may not be the case in our modern world. It's certainly um, it's not too unusual in our own history, even amongst some very prominent uh, Christians. John Knox, his second wife, uh, was found for him by his future mother-in-law. She was a, a titled noble lady, and in her castle, Knox often found refuge. And after his first wife died, um, Knox still carried on his itinerant ministry, because we're not to imagine that he was preaching in St. Giles every Sunday, because he wasn't. And as this titled lady um, saw him after his sad loss, he thought that the best remedy for his predicament would be for him to have another wife. And Knox said to her, who would marry me since I am traveling the country as a kind of fugitive? And the woman said, I'll find out. And she had three daughters. So she thought it might be best to start with them. She asked the first two. And they said to her, Surely you would want someone better than a traveling preacher for us. She asked the third one. And she said, Yes. Well, I'll marry him but he might not want to marry me because I'm only 19. The mother said, I'll check and see. Next time Knox came to the castle, they had a meal and 
you chose to inform him, I've found someone who will marry you. And he said, who's that? And she said, the girl sitting beside you. No doubt she arranged the table. But anyway, Knox asked her, would you marry me? There and then. He asked her there and then. And she said yes. And he was in his late 50s. And they had three daughters. And each of their daughters married ministers. With one of them being the wife of the famous John Welsh, who had to suffer greatly for the faith. But anyway, that lady did it, arranged for a wife for John Knox. It's not only women that do that, of course. There was a catechist in the north of Scotland, and sadly, his wife died as well. And his friend noticed his situation after his loss. And after a while, he said to his catechist friend, I think you should get remarried. And I know the woman for you. So the catechist agreed to see her. And when he saw her, his first words were, I hope she's better than she looks. Not surprisingly, the woman was offended. But when it was explained to her that what the catechist meant, that he hoped her, that her heart was better than her clothes, she married him, and their child was the apostle of the North. So, it's happened in our history. So what Naomi is doing here, well, is her suggestion legitimate? When she not only informs Ruth that she could or should uh, consider getting remarried, but she actually identifies who it is that she should. And she also points out what he's doing and where he's going to be that night. Is her advice legitimate? People have reacted differently to this. And um, basically there's been uh, one of condemnation and there's also been one of kind of taking it 50-50 and there's been one that says she did nothing wrong. I don't know what you thought as you read the story. I mean, some say that 
she was encouraging sin. Others say that she was just unwise in her suggestion as to leaving her <coughs> daughter-in-law alone in the company of this man. And the third view says that what she did was very wise. wonder what you thought as you read the story. Well, the obvious feature about the story is that neither, that none of the three characters are condemned in the slightest. Naomi is not condemned, Ruth is not condemned, and Boaz is not condemned. So the three of them are presented here as engaged in the will of God doing what pleased him, engaging in a certain sense in what was their responsibility as they faced their current providence. So I'd like us to think about this particular incident. Think about, first of all, about the reason and the reason of Naomi that's in verses 1 and 2. And then there's the ritual described in verses 3 to 6. And the request made in verses 7 to 13. And the response made in verses 14 to 18. The reason for Naomi's action, the ritual that Ruth had to go through. The request that Ruth made and the response that Boaz gave, and after that, some lessons. What was the reason for Naomi's request? What was the motive she had in her mind? And the answer to that question is found there in the little word, rest. Do I not seek rest for you? Rest is a rather important word in the book of Ruth. And we can almost see by accident that the first verse and the last verse of this chapter refer to rest. Because it starts off with Naomi looking for rest for Ruth. And the chapter finishes by Boaz not having any rest until he finds out the answer to the dilemma that has arisen. But she wanted rest. And rest is a very important Bible word. It's a very important word in the Old Testament. It's the whole reason for the existence of the promised land. The land of Canaan was entirely about rest. The children of Israel, when they were taken out of Egypt from slavery and they were brought to the land of milk and honey, the reason they were brought there was to have rest. Rest in a country that was going to be full of divine provision. And that would be 
how one would expect somebody to live in the land of Canaan, surrounded by rest. Now, of course, there are many things that might inhibit that rest or prevent it from happening. And one would be poverty, another would be being a widow, another would be human cruelty, and so on. There would be lots of reasons for rest not being there. But in Israel, the main reason for having disquiet would be if you had no inheritance. Because that was what all the future was about. The future was about your inheritance. If you didn't have an inheritance, you had no rest. It was impossible to have rest if you did not have any inheritance. And here's Ruth, and she is a Moabitess. She's actually got no rights at all whatsoever, apart from the fact that in the land of Moab, she had married a man who had an inheritance in Israel. But her husband, her first husband, had died, and that meant she didn't have access to any inheritance. And of course, there was a slight contradiction there, but not just a slight contradiction, but a huge contradiction. Somebody living in the land of Canaan with no rest. What kind of experience is that? But there they were. And Naomi, well, she realized that she had to do something about it. And I don't mean in the sense that um, she just thought it, that um, it would be good to do something about it. Rather, it was her responsibility to do something about it. She could not just stay there and do nothing. Her daughter-in-law, Ruth, had no inheritance. Naomi, well, she would have to um, probably point out to Ruth what to do. Naomi had the information that was contained in the Old Testament about what a widow should do. If you want to read about it, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And then that situation in Deuteronomy, it is the widow's responsibility to do something about it. And Naomi, well, she's got her plan. She takes her responsibility seriously. And do you know what responsibility brings about? It brings about one of two things success, or failure. That's only the ever two options of responsibility. Success or failure. And neither of them should be a reason for not fulfilling one's responsibility. You don't. You don't refuse to do what you should do just because it might turn out badly. 
And you don't refuse to do what you should do because you're not guaranteed success beforehand. The right thing in every situation is to do what you're responsible for. And that's what Naomi did. And therefore, why would anybody dream of condemning her? She's just doing what she should do. And therefore, she should be commended. All these suggestions that she makes to uh, Ruth, they're expressions of faith. That if she follows the instructions of the God of Israel, it will be the path of blessing. So she gave her a reason. And as we can see, before we look to the ritual, Ruth goes along with her. And she, of course, knows that the outcome is either going to be success or failure. And she's fully aware of that. There's no other alternative. So she is willing to do it. Now, this ritual uh, was rather, seems rather odd to us, doesn't it? That she is to go and, well, first of all, she has to wash herself and clothe herself. And then she has to go down to where Boaz is. And along the way, she is to say nothing. And when she gets there, she is to say nothing. Instead, when she gets there, what she has to do is spot where he goes to lie down. And then when she sees that he lies down, she is to go up there, lie down her, well, first of all, uncover the garment at the bottom of his feet and lie down there herself. Now, it's important to note that one thought didn't cross Naomi's mind. And this particular point may cause us to misinterpret the whole story. The point that didn't cross Naomi's mind was that Boaz would fall asleep. In Naomi's directions, she just says to Ruth, you go down there with certain clothes on, lie down at his feet after removing uh, the, the hem of his garment, as it were, and right away he'll tell you what to do. That's Naomi's expectation. The last thing she expected Boaz to do was to fall asleep. And because he did fall asleep, it causes us sometimes to misread the story. As we think about it, why has she got to change her clothes? Well, she's a widow. She's in mourning. She can't go and approach Boaz or anybody else that can be her redeemer. She can't go and approach them in her widow's garb. She has to give a visible sign 
that her time of mourning is over. And the, time, the visible sign, obviously, was the clothes that she would wear. So she follows Naomi's instructions to put on, instead of the garb of sadness, to put on clothes that indicate her time of mourning is over. And she does that. And of course, Boaz sees that. Lie down at his feet. In the ancient world, who lay down at people's feet? Who would automatically lie down at somebody's feet? And the answer to that question is servants. That's where servants slept. They slept at the feet of whatever their master or their mistress was sleeping. So when um, Ruth gets to uh, the place where Boaz is, she doesn't have to say a word. Her actions speak volumes. She's there with new clothes on. She's there indicating she's going to be a servant. And of course, that's what she says. When, he, when, he, when Boaz wakens up and asks, who's here? She says, I am your servant. And what about the uncovering of the, the edge of his garment? Well, it's symbolic. The same word that is translated edge of garment is also the same word for wing. For the wing of a bird or for the edge of a sheet or the edge of some clothes. And to, act, to lift the edge of a person's garment was a sign that that man would do for you what God would do. I mean, Boaz himself has said this in chapter 2. He said to her, you have come to shelter under the wings of God. And here she is, and because of this double use of the word in her language, when she takes up the corner of his garment and puts herself under it, as it were, she is asking for his protection. And he gets the message right away. It's a ritual that spoke very powerfully. But, as I have mentioned earlier, the problem is Boaz has fallen asleep. I suppose Ruth could have said to herself, surely God could keep this man awake for five more minutes. But he didn't. And as she comes up for her supreme act of bravery, he's sound asleep. How long has she got to wait? She's not allowed to waken him. 
she's not allowed to speak. Well, we don't know what her mind was. But we do know how long she had to sleep, how long she had to wait for, because she had to wait till midnight. Imagine being there. Your whole future depends on this. And God allows the man to fall asleep. Anyway, we can see that um, the <coughs> eventually Boaz wakens up. Something causes that to happen. He went to sleep very happy. There's a far happier man when he woke up. And he just asked her, who are your wing? Who are you? And as we briefly mentioned earlier there in verse 9, she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are our redeemer. As we no doubt know, the Redeemer in Israel, well, he had a responsibility uh, to rescue his uh, family, his relatives' property, for whatever reason they had lost it. They might have lost it through a war, or they may have lost it through debt, or they may have lost it through death. And there's a certain sense in which Ruth has got all of these issues. I mean, we know from the book of Judges that Moab's at war with Israel. And, uh, and we know she's poor, she's got nothing, she's lost everything. And she's also the victim of the death of her husband. If ever someone needed a redeemer, it's Ruth. And she comes straight to the point. She doesn't say to Boaz, oh, well, I'm here because my mother-in-law advised it and all that. She just says, I'm here to tell you of your responsibility. You are a redeemer. You are someone who can get me out of my distress. And as I mentioned earlier, and she's wrong me 25, it's the widow's responsibility to do this. It's a humble reminder that she gives to him, isn't it? But she just quite straightforwardly tells him what his responsibility is. And of course it's good to be straightforward. But that was the request she makes for asking for lasting protection and that he would spread his wings over her, over her. And of course, in order to prove it, he had to do it. So in his response, as we'll think about now, that is what he did. Now his response in um, verse... Um, uh, 10 indicates he had been thinking about it. 
because he says to her, <clears throat> you have made this last kindness greater than the first, <clears throat> in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Where would she have gone after other alternatives? Well, she'd have gone down to the city councillors and pointed out to them who the legitimate candidates were uh, to be her redeemer. And no doubt a lot of them would be younger than Boaz. And Boaz points that out to her and indicates to her that her decision was an act of great kindness in her efforts to fulfill what the law of God required her as a widow to do. She showed kindness to Boaz. And that really impressed him. He actually realized that the choice she was making was one of her own personal freedom. And that she had exercised her responsibility in fulfilling the instructions of Deuteronomy 25. And in her exercise of her responsibility, she had shown great kindness to Boaz. And he is exceptionally <coughs> grateful for her reaction. As I said, he had been thinking about it. And as he had thought about it, he had realized that as far as the, the family connections were concerned, there was one person closer than him. And it was obvious to him that both Ruth has not gone for the one that's the closest. But rather, she has gone for him. But he realizes that according to the Old Testament law, that other person had to be informed. And he promises her that I, he would immediately, that morning, get it sorted out. And his willingness, I mean, imagine it. The other person, who later on we can work out he must have been a widower, uh, the other person may choose to take his right. So Boaz, in making this promise, well, it's his responsibility. But again, there may be success or failure. He doesn't know. But he has to do it. But in response to her kindness to him, 
he shows his kindness to her. Because not only does he um, promise to get the issue sorted out with this alternative redeemer, but he lets her know what all the men in the area think of her. Because he makes it, he stresses it in verse 11. He doesn't say all my fellow townspeople think this. But all my fellow townsmen think you're a worthy woman. She's only been there a few weeks, a few months at the most. Yet such has been her, the beauty of her commitment to the God of Israel that the whole community are fully aware of the intensity of her devotion. And all of them have that opinion. What a mark she had left on this town of Bethlehem. Because we know the story. We know that ahead of her is a wonderful future. Even ending up in the genealogy of Jesus. But at this moment, none of the participants know that. So there's a certain sense, but not a real one, but there is a certain sense in which almost the rest of the Bible is at risk about what happens after this meeting. And then Boaz gives to Ruth uh, some barley. Actually, he gives to her a lot of barley. It's probably the case that lots of the men in this building wouldn't have been able to carry it. Six ephahs. But Boaz gives it to her. And of course, that tells us that Ruth herself was a very strong woman. Anyway, she goes home to her mother-in-law with the barley and tells her everything went well. What lessons can we take from this? I've got five. The first one is, or sorry, but four, sorry. The first one is, note the providence of God. There's lots of things from this passage that we could note. I just want to highlight two. Why did God let Boaz fall asleep? It seems so pointless, doesn't it? I mean, if, if Boaz hadn't fallen asleep, the discussion would have lasted a few minutes. But because God in his providence allowed this simple act to happen, there seems to be a delay in sorting out Ruth's situation. 
course, there's no delay, we know that, because God's got his own timetable. But from her perspective, what a small little thing. And she, there's no hint that she did, but it would have been quite easy for her to resent it. Why allow little things to upset important incidents? Well, God does that all the time. He doesn't look at his watch, as it were, and say, oh, it's the same time as Ruth. He has his timetable. On the other hand, in Providence, there's this individual with a closer connection. Why would God allow that to happen? To open certain doors in the path of Ruth's journey with the possibility that at the end of it, it's going to be slammed shut. We know it wasn't closed. But Ruth didn't know that. And it's a big thing. It's not like Ruth, it's not like Boaz fallen asleep. Which is, a, from our perspective, a trivial thing. But this, the existence of this alternative redeemer is a real threat. And yet God allows the threat to be there. He doesn't have to leave it there, but he does. And is it not the case that often in life there are small hindrances and big hindrances and they're all part of divine providence? That's the first lesson. Note the providence of God. We can never say, of course, that at any one moment it's the end of a story. But we are to note the providence of God. The second thing we should note is how to, repro- how to approach the Redeemer. I mean, Ruth had her temporal need of a redeemer. There are many pictures in the Bible of Jesus, and that is why the pictures are there. Sometimes there's the picture of him as a prophet, or as a priest, or as a king. But a very important picture of Jesus is that of the kinsman redeemer. The one who became like us, in order to rescue us from our debt and our danger and even from spiritual death. And how do we approach the Redeemer? Well, we approach him in exactly the same way as Ruth did, her Redeemer. We just go and tell him that we need him. And nobody else can do it. 
even as nobody else could do this for Ruth. She had to go and do it. And we've got to go and say to Jesus the Redeemer, we need you. And we need you now. And that is the responsibility of all of us. No one else can do it for us. And I hope we've all done it. Because unlike Boaz, Jesus is all-powerful. And everyone that goes to him discovers his capacity for liberation. So we should go to him. Not anyone else. Face to face. And she's got a very simple petition, isn't it? Spread your wings over your servant. You don't need to make a special prayer to approach Jesus. Just speak to him. A third lesson, of course, is to share the experience with others and show the evidence. I mean, that's what um, Ruth did with Naomi, wasn't it? She went back to the house, told her what happened, and showed her the vast amount of barley she had. And we could almost say that that amount of barley was a sample of her future inheritance because it came from the fields of Boaz. It was almost as if she was saying, it's a foretaste of the rest of her life. And if we have met the Redeemer, we should share it. And we should show the evidences that we've got the inheritance. That we've got samples of the future glory ahead. That the peace of God is in our hearts. And that the Holy Spirit is within us. And even as Ruth gladly shared these details with her mother-in-law, so should we. There are some things in the Christian life that are appropriately kept secret, but there are some things that are not. And we are to share with one another what God has done in our souls. And if we don't do it, why don't we do it? And the last thing that comes from this particular incident is, if we do things according to the word of God, it works out fine in the end. If they hadn't done it according to the word of God, they wouldn't have got anywhere. Because they just followed what had been stipulated by the Lord. Everything worked out fine.
And if we do that, same outcome. Even if there are little obstacles and big obstacles in the path. Shall we pray? Lord, we give you thanks that you worked in the life of Naomi, of Ruth, and of Boaz. And there's an obvious sense. If they hadn't done what they should have done, we wouldn't be here today. And we certainly wouldn't be reading the book of Ruth. But here we are. We ourselves getting benefit from this ancient story. We thank you that their story was part of a far bigger plan that you had that they couldn't imagine. That along the road in a couple of thousand years' time, the real Redeemer would come. And we thank you too that although we have more insight than they had, we have only seen a fraction of the incredible riches that are in store for your people. So help us, Lord, to trust in the Redeemer, your Son, who became a man, who became one of us, who died and rose again as a man and ascended to heaven as the forerunner of all his people in order to claim his and our inheritance. So, Lord, bless us, we pray, for your own name's sake. Amen. We'll sing from Psalm 31 in Sing Psalms, verses 5 to 8. Uh, the tune is Walton. Redeem me, Lord, O God of truth, my spirit I commit to you. I hate all those who trust false gods. I trust the Lord, for he is true. Verses 5 to 8.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.